and welcome to Disseminate, the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. This is episode 10 and the final episode of our SIGMOD 2022 series. I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Mateusz Jasny, who will be talking about his paper, P4DB, The Case for In-Network OLTP. Mateusz is a PhD student at the Technical University of Darmstadt, and his research focuses primarily on scalable data management and programmable networks. Mateusz, thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Let's dive straight in. Can you set the scene for your research and describe the motivation behind P4DB? Yes, so, so my research mainly builds on the observation that database development always lags a bit behind in what is currently available in the area, for example, high-speed networks. And with my work, especially on the focus of programmable switches, there has been a bit limited work how to use these programmable switches in databases, but mainly only by offloading some components into the network, for example, the log manager or a key value store for caching some values. But at this time, when I started my research, I couldn't find anything what did full transaction processing on the switch. So I thought back then, this is some nice challenge to tackle. Awesome. So can you describe to the listeners who may not be familiar with them, what exactly is a programmable switch? Yeah, maybe I should start to quickly say what a switch in general is. So a switch sits in the network and is connected to database nodes or general nodes. And its task is mainly to route packets between the nodes. And normal switches do this by looking into the packet contents and seeing what is the destination and to which part it needs to go out. And these switches, still under normal switches, they can also have like firewall functions and only allow packets of a specific VLAN or, or something else to go to some node. And they can also drop packets if, if it's some malicious attack or so. And these normal switches are for a user kind of a black box and they only support a fixed set of protocols, for example, TCP IP, UDP, IP, and VLAN tags, and Ethernet, and so on. And since these programmable switches came to the market, they gave the users the opportunity to develop their own protocols. So basically, um, define how uh, what the data layout in the packets is. So what fields are in the packet headers? How, to, how are they combined together? how they should be interpreted and so on. This architecture is, is like realized in a switch ASIC. And when you want to reconfigure it, you don't need to buy a new ASIC. You can basically flash a new firmware and then your upgraded protocol is running. And um, these programmable switches are quite flexible. And as of right now, they are uh, on the same edge as normal switches and some are even better. And you can get them for the same price, basically. And this is also one interesting point because in like in the next year, 23% of all Ethernet switches will be programmable. And some users might not even know that the network switch inside the data center network is programmable. So basically, you get some computing platform for free inside your network. So bringing it back to your research, what are the characteristics of OLTP workloads that make them a good fit for these programmable switches? Yeah, so in, in the database world, you can distinguish between two major types of workloads, as many of you might know. Um, OLAP, online analytical processing, and OLTP, online transaction processing. 
and all up the transactions are long, long running and mainly joins between warehouses, for example. And OLTP transactions have the characteristic that they are short and they just access a few records. And in OLTP, it's also very common that workloads have skew where only a few tuples are touched by a majority of the transaction. And this gives many challenges because uh, data access uh, needs to be regulated to a limited amount of resources, in this case, tuples. Uh, think of an online shop, for example, with popular uh, items where many users want to purchase some new book or DVD. And so our idea was now to look at OLTP because of these attributes, and we thought that they might uh, that they map quite good to the switch model. For example, on the switch, the memory is a bit limited, and also the accesses to the memory are constrained by the switching architecture because they need to route the packets very fast. And we saw then that this pattern is very similar to OLTP, and then had the idea to do this OLTP processing on the switch. I know you touched on it a bit there, but can you elaborate on what the key idea behind P4DB is? Yes, so the key idea of my research was to take the hot tuples of our workload and put them onto the switch and store them in the switch theorem. And then also let the switch execute full uh, transactions on the stored data. So when you now move the data to the switch, you get a lower access latency because the network path is uh, divided by two. Since you don't need to go through the switch to some other node, uh, you just need to go to the switch. And um, the way how the transactions are processed by the switch is in a pipeline and log-free manner. So you don't need to worry about any concurrency control and you have certain performance guarantees because you don't uh, need to acquire any logs. And when you think of the bandwidth a switch has, for example, with 40 input ports and each 25G, you can get to a, a throughput of around 1.5 billion transactions per second, which is very high when you just compare this to the clock speed of CPUs. Nice. So how do you go about mapping the execution of transactions to the architecture of a programmable switch? Yeah, so when I started with the research, I had quite a few iterations how to do this. But uh, let's talk about how the switch uh, first uh, works inside it. So as hinted previously, the, the switch uses a pipeline architecture, and this is similar to a water pipe. Packets come into an input port, and then flows through the pipe, and then go to the output port. And in the switch, uh, it is working similar, but at the beginning you have a parser which takes the byte streams or the zero and ones from the wire and interprets them or so-called passes them into meaningful header instances which can be then used for further processing. So this header instance can then be, for example, the IP header or the TCP header or the UDP header. And then the packets moves further through the pipeline and the innermost part of the pipeline consists of uh, so-called mouse stages. These are match action units that are chained together to form uh, a chain of multiple stages. And they allow us to execute different actions based on the packet contents. So, uh, for example, we want to route a packet to some node. Then in one mouse stage, we look at the destination IP address, do a lookup on which output port it is, 
and then set the output port for the packet. And then after the uh, uh, packet passes through the stages, uh, it goes to the deparser, where the packet is then reassembled to a byte stream and sent out to the wire. And this pipeline mechanism um, works in a way that you only have one packet in each stage and they pro uh, progress further on each clock cycle. And when you think of a uh, clock speed of around 2 gigahertz, you can get to the routing speed of 1.5 billion uh, packets per second. This is a very important aspect because uh, in CPUs, you can have as many random accesses as you want, but on the switch, each packet can only access the resources in the stages currently in. And in the next clock cycle, it moves uh, to the uh, following stage and cannot access the resources of the previous stage anymore. Can only access the stage local resources. So this kind of programming model is different from CPUs. And when you design switch programs, you need to think of it. And by having the switch pipeline, we can actually get uh, full asset guarantees. Um, atomicity, consistency, and isolation, these are basically given us for free by the pipeline. We only have one packet in each stage, and access always succeeds. And when uh, another clock cycle comes, um, the pre uh, like when you think of the packets in the line, they always see the changes of the previous packets in the next stage. Consistently. Then you can have durability, for example, but we do this on the nodes by uh, efficiently logging operations in a write-ahead log, basically. Nice. Could you maybe walk us through um, the life cycle of one of these switch transactions? Yes, so, so the, the user sends out a special packet, which is our switch transactions, and this packet is then executed by our transaction engine on the switch. Uh, in the switch transaction, the user can encode different instructions, which uh, mimic the operations a transaction, a normal transaction does. And when it passes through the switch pipeline, it's executed from top to bottom and can modify um, the tuple stored on the switch SRA. So after the execution, when all instructions of the switch have been successfully executed and the results have been written into this packet, the packet is then routed back to the sender. How does P4DB determine which tuples to place on the switch? Yes, yeah, so this uh, tuple placement is very important because um, when the packet flows through the pipeline, its accesses need to follow the pipeline because if this not, is not the case, it needs to do multiple passes through the pipeline and this is, of course, a bit costly. So to optimize this data layout, we model our accesses of what transactions into a graph. Um, we define the tuples as nodes and each access a transaction makes, we define as a directed edge in our graph. So when um, tuples are accessed very frequently, the edge wages are high. And when we now have the graph, we can partition it using a maximum cut graph algorithm and basically cut the graph on the edges with the highest weights. And then we get partitions of tuples. And when we then order these partitions using the directed edges, topologically, we get the optimal data placement of our tuples into the different stages of the switch pipeline. 
Is the allocation static or is it dynamic? Can the tuple order be changed at runtime? Uh, for our paper, we had it static to better compare against other baselines. But you can think of management transactions which take one tuple and write it to another location. So you can have a dynamic layouts and also adaptive layouts. For example, when workloads are shifting and the hot items, the very uh, frequently accessed items in our shopping system moves, then we can also offload and download other tuples to the switch. This is, this is possible in the design. What happens if a transaction needs to access tuples in a different order than that laid out on the switch? So the data layout algorithm optimizes the placement, but it cannot be always optimally. There can always be transactions in a different order. So we handle this by um, allowing the switch transaction to pass multiple times through the switch pipeline. And this is done by sending the switch transaction to a special port on the switch, which loops back to some input port. And this allows us to have a switch transaction to multiple passes through the switch pipeline. But when you think about it, um, this also violates some of our criteria, um, which our switch pipeline gives at the beginning. Um, you can have inconsistent states. Some switch transactions might treat intermediate updates from other switch transactions, switch transactions, and so on. So to prevent this, we add some locking mechanism into our switch pipeline at, at the beginning, which pre, uh, prevents that the switch executes other transactions while one multipass transaction is running. Obviously, you can't fit all of the data on the switch, right? Only the hot data. So how does P4DB execute transactions that need to access some hot data and some cold data that's not on the switch? Yes, yeah, so we also thought of this case in our paper, and we gave these transactions a special name, um, so-called warm transactions, because they access hot and cold data at, at the same time. And we integrated these warm transactions into the uh, two-phase COVID concurrency schemes, which is used in database systems. So since these switch transactions uh, do not abort and are always executed log-free on the switch, we have some constraints. So how can we now execute these uh, transactions that access both hot and cold data? Um, first, we need to ensure that uh, once we send out the hot transaction to the switch, um, the whole transaction cannot abort anymore due to some cold transaction. So we do this by obtaining logs for the cold parts and waiting until it's in a kind of pre-commit state. Now we know that the cold part cannot abort anymore. And then we send out a switch transaction and receive the results. We can do some further computation for the results and then um, fully commit the cold part and the whole transaction. And this scheme is needed because, as I said, these hot transactions cannot abort and also cannot be rolled back on the switch. In case a transaction wants to access Hot data and in cold data, we can also temporarily offload these cold tuples into some dedicated memory of the switch and execute it as it would be like hot transactions. How did you go about evaluating P4DB and what were the key results? Um, for our evaluation, we used uh, a database system based on two-phase locking, 
with all the uh, transaction execution modules, which was running without a switch and compared the same database with an active switch. So passive switch, where the switch is just routing packets through the network against an active switch where it's effect uh, effectively executing these hot transactions inside the networks. And to show uh, the benefits P4DB can provide, we implemented uh, three OTP workloads, YCSP, like everyone knows, a key value store. Um, to simulate these transactions, we grouped together eight operations. And small bank is a banking application. And then we also implemented TPCC. And for YCSB and small bank, these can be fully implemented as hot transactions on the switch because they are not that complex and all operations can be done in a pipeline pass. And for these workloads, we saw in our evaluation significant improvements, um, especially when the skewness factor was very high. And this was due to the pipeline and log free execution model because you don't need to call in accesses and the transactions are executed as fast as the packets are routed through the switch. For TPCC, we needed to rely on the techniques of warm transactions because the new order and payment transactions in TPCC contain some table inserts and uh, string lookups. So for these, we only executed the hot part, which caused the most contention on the switch, and then uh, let the cold part not be normally executed on the nodes. So for TPCC, we also saw speedups. They were not as high as for YCSB and SmallBank, but they were significant speedups too. And for TPCC, this was basically limited by the cold subset because this is still the major part where the nodes synchronize and a lot of time goes to waste. Well, not wasted, but is used what was the magnitude of the speedup in the scenarios in which P4DB showed performance gains? Uh, for YCSB small bank, you can be uh, like for certain factor of skewness, like 80% of all accesses go to 20% of tuples. There you can see speed up of up to eight. And for TPCC, uh, all speed ups were 1.5x or 2x. Uh, I want to highlight one very interesting fact. So yeah. for, for the switch, it does not matter how the workload is skewed. It does not matter if the transact of all switch transaction access one tuple or multiple tuples because they always take the same amount of time since it's clocked by the pipeline. And this is very interesting when you look at the graphs because um, for different write read ratios, in the transactional workloads, the throughput is exactly the same. Are there any situations in which P4DB's performance is non-optimal? And what are the workload characteristics of these situations? Yes, there are certain workloads with characteristics. For example, we cannot support scans or similar complex operations in P4DB due to the limited hardware capabilities. Uh, another obvious aspect is if the workload cannot be partitioned into a hot and cold part, so if the workload is very uniformly, the switch cannot do as much to accelerate the workload as, a, as if it would be able to when we have a very distinctive hot portion in our data. This is due to the fact that when uh, less data accesses go into the switch, it basically cannot accelerate the workload that effect 
effectively. But in our system, this is no disadvantage. Um, we also have a micro benchmark on this and where we increase the hot set and there P4DB performs symptotically as if there would be no switch in the system. So you don't have any drawback when you use P4DB, but the workload doesn't match. How many tuples can you actually get on one of these switches? Uh, this also depends on the switch model, but the switch we use, there we could store around 800,064-bit tuples in, okay. in this area. Depends also how many uh, tables you want to store on the switch. Uh, if you want to have some for read-only data, you could also replicate it so that you store data A in the first pipeline stages and the data A again in the last pipeline stages to optimize for different data access orders. So this also comes into the fact how, how much uh, data you can store on the switch. But the rough ballpark is, as, is, as I said, around 800,000. Where do you see your results being the most useful? Like who do you think will find the results the most relevant? Yes, uh, I think in general data center networks can greatly uh, benefit from these programmable switches. And as I said in the beginning, in the next year, like one quarter of all purchased Ethernet switches will be programmable. So even if you don't use it specifically for transaction processing, you can benefit greatly from the programmability of network hardware. Across your time working on P4DB, what was the most interesting or maybe perhaps an expected lesson that you learned? I think for me, the program, the different program model of switches, um, which is radically different from CPUs, was very challenging and unexpected for me to in the beginning. So first to get your thinking to this pipeline model of processing and then getting a working design of it took some time, but at the end, it was worth it. What were the things that you tried while working on P4DB that failed? Can you give any words of advice to people who might in the future want to work with programmable switches? Um, I think the best advice is to forget uh, how you would program the switch using your normal programming techniques like data structures, uh, which you commonly use for CPUs. You, sh you should start from the scratch and then start to find a solution for your problem. At the beginning, I also made the mistakes to have some designs, um, which at the end weren't able to compile because I violated some constraints, for example, access the register twice or in a different order. But yeah, it takes some time, but once you are in, I think building their new systems and also different systems becomes easier and easier. Where do you go next with P4DB? I think I will continue further research in this networking context as the main topic of my PhD. But I'm also looking at some upcoming architectures um, for switches. For example, there will be now um, FPGA embedded next to the processing agent, ASIC. And this can open up many new possibilities for new designs. For example, some designs where the constraints of the ASIC fail can now then be moved to the FPGA where you can synthesize some specific processing pipeline. And another direction I plan to look into are other, are other dedicated network accelerator, uh, accelerator cards, for example, in servers. And 
there uh, look into how to speed up different protocols also in a database context. And I think this is some interesting area. Is P4DB publicly available? Where can the listener go and find it? Yes, I uploaded all the source code to the GitHub repository of my lab. So it's github.com slash data management lab slash P4DB. And we also published an extended technical report um, next to our paper where we cover some other aspects, more detail, which unfortunately couldn't make it to the full paper. What attracted you to this research area in the first place? Uh, yeah, so I started this topic as a master thesis, so I kind of slided in a bit. And as I said at the beginning, it was a bit hard, especially then uh, solving this very abstract problem statement now into the hardware. But then I started to like it, and I'm now further continually continuing in this area. And one point is that there are more and more accelerators popping up uh, around each corner. And for each, there are different development techniques and they are popping up like in an exponential rate. And I think a big challenge is to tame all these uh, developments and use them in the best way suited for the project or in my context, databases. What is the one key thing you want listeners to take away from your research and your work on P4DB? Um, I'm getting a bit philosophical now, I think, but I would say you should take a look at the whole infrastructure you have and see what other components can be utilized to solve your problem tasks. And at the beginning, it might look unconventional and you might have some surprisingly good effects on your workload at the end. And sometimes the solution is even not that intuitive. For example, uh, in our case, with P4DB, um, we could easily achieve great speedups for certain workloads by basically not even have to, having to buy new hardware because the programmable switch is often already in the network. We will end it there. Thanks so much, Matthias, for coming on the show. Um, if you are interested in knowing more about Matthias's work, all the links to his paper and all the other relevant materials will be put in the show notes. This episode concludes our Sigmod 2022 series. We hope you've enjoyed listening. We'll be back soon with another series focusing on a different conference, so keep an eye out on our Twitter account, that is at DisseminatePod, for updates about that. See you all next time.